This is Wessler Media. And just remember going to the fair and going out and eating and eating and doing eating. The Ohio State Fair and Wessler Media are proud to present A Fair to Remember, discovering the stories and people behind this statewide tradition. And drinking all the root beer. Uh, I got a kiss from Cher and shook Sonny's hand with my left hand. I'm your host, Vince Tornero, and this is Season 2. I look up to see how many legs are dangling from the (laughs) sky ride so I know how busy we're going to be. So let's play a game of word association. The Ohio State Fair. What'd you think about? Maybe the animals, maybe the food. With nearly 200 different food vendors, doses of deep-fried items, and more than 30 foods served on a stick, food definitely proving to be a favorite of many who visit the fair. Well, in this episode, we're going to talk about just that. First, we're going to start with uh, Schmitz and uh, a little history lesson. Hey, can you... Hey, where's that film reel? Born just north of Frankfurt, Germany, Patriarch J. Fred Schmidt journeyed to America and settled in South Columbus in the early 1880s, opening the J. Fred Schmidt Meatpacking House in 1886 in the heart of German Village. Schmitz became Central Ohio's most well-known name in meats and is this day sold in leading grocery stores around the country. Schmitz's first venture into the restaurant and concession business was in 1914, when George L. Schmidt opened a stand at the Ohio State Today, the Schmitz Food Booth is the second oldest food concessionaire at the State Fair and is still among the most popular and well-loved. J. Fred's grandson, George F. Schmidt, opened the company's first restaurant in July of 1967, just around the corner from his grandfather's meatpacking plant in German Village. Using meat recipes from the packing days and dessert recipes from the German ladies hired to run the kitchen, Schmidt's Sausage House became an instant success. Today, the family tradition of day-to-day operations of this uniquely diverse hospitality company is carried out by the fourth generation of the Schmidt. Uh, my name is Jeff Schmidt. I've been with the company most of my life. I'm the oldest of the Schmidt fourth generation. Started uh, with, the, with the restaurant uh, out of school. I actually started with the packing house uh, when I was in junior high. And then uh, the restaurant, as it came along in 1967, I was in high school. Started working there, graduated from Capital University and stayed in the restaurant business with my dad and then joined by my other two brothers and my three sisters. My earliest memory would be when dad would bring some, some meat products home, uh, specifically the knockwurst. And we used to split that, and he and I, and we would, you would make, uh, you'd have three links of sausage, and you'd make two sandwiches out of three links of sausage, and we'd, we'd eat knockwurst together. And then uh, I remember going down to the old packing house that was down in German Village when it was basically a slum. And there would be a, been a riot outside the packing house, some kind of an altercation. And my sister and I went down, and we had to lay on the floors, uh, the floorboards of the car, because the police were still out there, and it was still sort of, sort of crazy. My name is John Schmidt, and I am uh, third in line in the family um, of six kids. And what I do for the restaurant is the special events. Um, we all started out with the restaurant, and then the three boys kind of. We shot off and started doing uh, events around Ohio, a couple of them. And then um, throughout the years, we just kind of, I gravitated to events, Jeff gravitated to the restaurant, and Andrew gravitated to uh, the uh, catering. My name is Sandy Schmidt Karam. Been there working for a long time, ever since I was a little girl. My earliest memory would be working alongside Teresa Markle Storfer. 
who actually helped um, my dad open the restaurant. And I would wrap silverware for her, which was really plasticware. And I would stand on an old Coke crate and wrap it and get a quarter <laughs> for helping out. Um, so that's really my my first memory of working down there and just going on the weekends and you know traveling down with my dad. The Ohio State Fair, when you think about the fair, what do you think? <laughs> wow. Um, Awesome memories. Love the fair. Used to be, it took forever to get there when I was little. Now it's like, oh my gosh, it's here already. Penny hunting, we used to, the stand before it was a permanent stand, we would have, um, we would put sawdust around. And I remember we would go and, and hunt for change that people would drop in the, in the sawdust. My name is Carla Epler. My official title is COO, but that just really means I know how to do lots of things like make cream puffs, drive a truck, hire people, write press releases. You name it, I get to do it. For me, like when we're getting ready to open, the, the first day when you, we drive onto the fairgrounds, but when you drive on, there's just, you get that excitement in in the pit of your stomach and I always park up on top of the horse barn so for me my my routine is as I come down I look up to see how many legs are dangling from the (laughs) sky ride so I know how busy we're going to be if there are a lot of legs we're going to be really busy when I was young we'd go and instead and and we'd had we had a permanent stand at the fair uh, on 11th Avenue and instead of a walk in we would pull one of the trucks back one of the trucks up to the stand and that was our refrigerated truck that was the walk-in cooler that's where we kept all the food and i was i was in grade school i was young and um and i just remember going to the fair and going out and eating and eating and doing eating and drinking all the root beer uh i got a kiss from Cher and shook sonny's hand with my left hand that was that was when I was in high school, so that was exciting. But just we we'd see all these people because they'd be right there. Yeah. Well, that was a major marketing for the packing house. Everybody went to the fair. I mean, all over the state went to the fair, and we used to even sell products at the fair. There was a there was an old counter that that had ham in it and had pickle loaf and, and different things that we didn't even sell to eat at the fair. But that was used as a marketing tool, not. Unlike what we don't do, like we do today, when we go out to all this, all these Oktoberfest and all these events all over the city, and market the restaurant. But yeah, that was uh, that was a big marketing opportunity for for the packing house. We weren't really a little packing company. We were pretty decent in the in the city of Columbus. We were we have we had when the the first um, health department regulations wasn't the USDA, it was the city of Columbus. And when they started that, we were in business. When they started the, the, the where they come around and inspect, we actually have the number one legend. We were the first uh, plant. Registered. That, yeah, first registered plant that the city health department came and, and, and did. So we had number one. So we were a pretty good size. We also had the first bratwurst in Columbus. You know, as Bob Evans wasn't, you know, they weren't around yet. And uh, we had the first bratwurst of Columbus. We were pretty good size. We, we did a lot of business back then. Uh, how packing came around later. 
I remember when he first talked about it, he, he brought, we were down at the, at the packing house, and this, the restaurant is actually located a half a block away, right around the corner on Casa Street from where the packing house was. But he owned the building, and that's where we would keep uh, the, the frozen seafood stuff that we would distribute, the blue water and snow crop orange juice and stuff like that. He also kept all the fair uh, counters and, and poles and stuff to build the tent were kept in that, that area too. Well, dad brought me down. And I mean, this was dirt floor. This was an old livery stable for part of it. And part of it was a couple of single houses that were all connected together now. But he said, you know, I think we're going to put a restaurant here. And I thought, you've got to be kidding me. It was a livery stable. Uh, the horses and the wagons that's where they kept them, and it's what early days did all the, the deliveries around the city for the packing house. Now, it wasn't owned, owned by the Schmitz. It was owned by the Wallbachers. And, you know, it was other things as it went along, but that's where it started out. And that's why when Dad, if you go inside, you see these booths. They look like little stalls if you take a look at them. Horse and stalls. Horse stalls. And so we tried to go along on, on some of that. He tried to go on some of that theme when he was doing his design when we— you know, first of on the front of the on the front of the building, there's still the cupola, where the um, where the pulley was to to get the hay and to put it up in the upstairs. Yeah. So, and um, you can see the bricks of the of the street go right into the front of the building because that's where the horses. That's where they went in. The only association Dad had with restaurants was doing the fair. Once we opened the restaurant, Dad brought over a couple of the uh, sausage makers from the old packing house. Uh, to become the, the, the managers and make the products that we sold. And, of course, his idea was to make quite a few different products because it was a sausage house. And it turned out that we were so busy, we had to go down to just a couple of products. Uh, we also He also hired a couple of German ladies who gave us the potato salad recipe, who gave us the uh, cream puff recipe, uh, Teresa Merkelstorfer, Betty Treslett, some, some great ladies. And actually, Teresa's still alive today, about 96 years old, and uh, still comes down and sees us every once in a while. But anyway, that was Dad's first waitresses, too. And we all, uh, yeah, we all worked the weekends um, and worked the summers. Oh, yeah. And we, you have a story about when the first keg of Michelob came. Oh, yeah. Dad yeah, we... got the first keg of Michelob out of the, the, the new plant that was built over on Bush Boulevard. And he had the, the mayors, Mayor Sensenbrenner and Miss, uh, Miss Ohio come down, uh, and they had a wagon come down and, and do the photo shoot and all the shots and all that. But, John, what was your— So I got, I, I got to ride on the wagon with the queen. Part of our cream puff filling, there's a specific pudding that we use. And we've gone round and round with a vendor about that. No, you can't change it. You can't discontinue that because that, that's what we use. That is the product that we have. So for someone to emulate what we do is very difficult because we, do, we don't change our recipes and we stay really true to, to the way it was when Betty Tressler first made the cream puff when the restaurant opened. That's the meeting point for families. They might all go separate directions, but at certain time, they're either going to meet at the 11th Avenue stand or they're going to meet right. at the 17th I mean, Avenue stand. How many stand. times do you hear that? And, you know, we came here for you. Three o'clock, we're, we're eating here. lunch, and, you know, the hardcore Schmidt fans, mm -hmm. they're getting their stuff. And, you know, somebody might have gotten the ear of corn or the corn dog or the, the right uh, cheese on a stick from the brown yes. trailer. Yeah. But, 
they meet at Schmidt's and they eat together at Schmidt's and that's everybody comes back together at Schmidt's tradition uh, it just it's it's something that that we're you know we're getting close to retirement so it's that you know when when we're gonna we reach a certain age the three boys we are going to be out but the fair will be something that we will always come back to if you haven't done it, the Bahama Mama is a fantastic addition to your fair traditions. And speaking of traditions, you just heard John Schmidt, George, their father, when he was alive, the band and choir would come by the 11th Avenue stand, sing and play happy birthday. It was a really cool tradition. Well, with John, that tradition is still held today, and it happens every year, and it's a really cool thing to see. Another popular food item at the fair is definitely ice cream, specifically velvet. And in order to get to know the Dagger family who founded the company, we got to go all the way back to Lebanon in the early 1900s. I'm Joseph Dagger with Velvet Ice Cream Company. I've been in the business for 40 years making ice cream, and I love making ice cream. It is, it, it, it's naturally a happy food. Definitely, it's a happy food. And it's good for you. It's made from milk, cream, sugar, all the natural condiments we use, such as pecans and cherries and strawberries. It's all natural. Well, my grandfather came to this country in 1903. His name was Joe Dagger. I was named after him, and I knew him. I was 19 years old when he passed on to the next world. And he was like any other immigrant that came over here to the United States from Lebanon in the early 1900s. But he came to this country for a new life. And I asked him, I said, Gramps, I says, how did you leave your family at the age of 15? He says, Joe, he says, we were starving. And my father and mother had tears in their eyes when I boarded the ship. They knew I was going to a better place in the world. And he came to this country, worked in various mills, steel mills, clothing mills, ended up in Cleveland, Ohio. And I says, how'd you end up in a little town of Utica? And, uh, I was always full of questions. And he says, well, I got hurt in this plant that I was working, ended up in the hospital. My brother-in-law came to visit me in the hospital and said to him, Joe, it's time for you to move out of the city. And he says, I understand you're a hard worker. And that's how he came to Utica population of 1,500 and started making ice cream in the basement of this small confectionery. And then later, my father and my uncle got involved and said, let's go into the wholesale business of making ice cream. And let's get out of the retail. And they got out of the retail business and started manufacturing ice cream. And that's been over 105 years now that we make a premium ice cream product. 
and all the family members were involved in the business. My, uh, my father and, and my mother, my uncles and aunts, and uh, it kept us together. And uh, it built us a culture of making a product that people enjoy. And that's what keeps us going today. We have people that come here to the old mill, uh, over 160,000 people last year, that encourages us to continue to do what we're doing. My brother and I, Mike Dagger and I, were partners for 30 years. And we saw the tradition and we decided we were gonna continue that tradition. I have two daughters that actually run the business. I'm chairman of the board, and, uh, but they run the business. Well, we have a policy that my father passed on to me. When I came back from school, he said, Joe, you're interested in this business and I know you will do well, but there's one thing you have to do, is that the third generation has to be better managers and better businessmen than the second generation. So I have told my daughters that the fourth generation's gotta be better than the third generation. And we've accomplished that. So as you heard Joe mention, Joanne and Lucanda, his two daughters, handle most of the day-to-day operations. I sat down with Joanne along with two of their PR staff, Ben and Olivia, and got to know more of the current day Velvet history. Now, Joanne, this is the voice you'll hear first. We distribute on our own company-owned fleet within a 200-mile radius. We're in 26 states east of the Mississippi, and once it leaves here, then it gets on a different distribution truck. Um, if we pair with them to go outside of those states, that we can distribute outside that 200-mile radius. Um, so that's how they get that far. And there's people even further requesting it. We get requests all the time from people. Arkansas. We'll get we'll get residential orders, and the cost of doing like dry ice to get it there is, is costly, and people will still still go through with it and get three gallon tubs, and yeah, just live off it. <laughs> kind of, I always knew I was going to come back to the business, even though I went off to school. Um, always knew that I'd be here someday, just didn't know didn't know when. Some family rules about being in the family business, which I think are interesting. You have to uh, complete at least two years of school, and you need to work outside of the business for two years, uh, and then the opportunity to entertain coming back and working from the ground up, even once you arrive here. We would, mainly I was working in the restaurant when we would bust tables, um, yeah, because we were, you know, back in those days, I don't remember the law of how old you had to be to work, but we would be down here busting tables and just maybe filling drinks and things like that. Uh, and then uh, when we became part of the staff, then I was doing regular duties like uh, dipping ice cream or, you know, we always had food involved as well. So it might have been something with the um, salad bar that we had or the bread bar we had. And then um, you always stayed for cleanup. You never got out early for that. So that's how we always started. But then every year we came back, we obviously moved on to something different. Like the following year, I remember coming back and um, I would actually be on the line like an ice cream cup, pulling the cups off and pushing them into the bag. Then you pass the bag to the next person and they would roll it and tape it. Uh, and then they would pass it on. So there's tons of hands at that time. We're way more automated now. But uh, now I remember all those steps. 
There's always 12 people working on the floor in production. So that's just a little fun fact, thinking about, you know, if you make 8,000 gallons a day, there's 12 people getting that done. When ice cream comes off the line, it's more like a soft serve consistency, no matter what type of packaging it's in. So it's honestly just the purest form of it. I feel like when you're tasting it, it's just something you don't get to experience. So when someone brings in from their line, they're like, oh, we just got the strawberry off the line. Like, who wants some? We're like, all of us. Like, it's just such a unique like flavor to be able to taste. Um, I forget what region, I would think it was somewhere in Indiana, and it is a raspberry sherbet swirled with chopped nuts, a variety of nuts. So it was like walnuts. I mean, okay, it's kind of like Waldorf salad, yeah. you know, but um, no, we all tried it. it. Wasn't our favorite, but this zone sold it very well. So, so we'll make little spec products like that for certain people. Yeah, currently we have, you know, a new a new account and they're used to getting a certain birthday cake ice cream and we make birthday cake ice cream in three gallon but they're used to it with a piece of cake in it and ours didn't have a piece of cake in it so we you know take a look at the numbers take a look at what it's worth and we'll be adding a piece of cake to it so you know not only does it enhance our flavor but we're being accommodating for our customers so I mean I don't think you can find that in many other food service avenues and we're lucky to be able to do that. That's a huge perk. I mean, you get to try all this stuff. I mean, every every inclusion, everything that comes in here for us to try, I mean, it's it's up there for us to take a taste of and, and see what we like. And we all sit down, and if there's a flavor or something that everybody says, oh, yeah, this is this is good. That, that was a, a good um, part of my first week, too, was Denali came in and had some different inclusions and variegates for us to try. and and sample and I got a taste of that right off the bat so it was a uh, it was a nice first week I'm sitting here right now in my conference room somebody's making ice cream I have an ice cream maker that's been with us 32 years that oversees all the production runs and this young man came to us right out of high school so those are the things that People don't realize that it takes people and good people and good training and good management to bring the best out of their abilities. American history to us with the Dagger family is very important. And that's one of the main reasons we restored this old mill that was built in 1817 same foundation and some of the equipment is still here for people to come and enjoy. I was always an American history follower and that's what Velvet has done with some of their resources and by building on the past we, yes, we will build the future, but we can never forget where we came from. That's Velvet's story. A Fair to Remember, presented by the Ohio State Fair and produced, edited, sound designed by Westler Media. Executive producer and PR manager is Alicia Schultz. Additional script writing and editing by Becca Kerr. 
Every episode expertly mastered by Joey Gerwin at Orange Judio. Special thanks to all of our guests and anyone who did anything at all to make this podcast a reality. And thank you for attending the fair year after year and upholding this wonderful and fun tradition. Last, and of course not least, got to mention my wife, Melina, who listened patiently to various rewrites, versions, and edits of all of these episodes. I love you. And I'm your host, Vince Tornero. This has been a fair to remember. I'll see you on the Midway. The fun, the draw, the excitement of a fair, that should be enjoyed by everybody. And this year, the Ohio State Fair, it's going to be more accessible and inclusive of individuals with disabilities. Now, this is in partnership with Opportunities for Ohioans with Disabilities. Complimentary wheelchair mobility charging stations, they will be available throughout the grounds and are listed on the fair maps. And these fair maps, they can be picked up at the fair guest information services booths. Second, fairgoers who are blind or low vision, they can use this technology called IRA. This is really amazing stuff. Now, IRA, it's going to connect to an agent who can help you with navigation. In collaboration with Ocali, a sensory-friendly morning is going to take place July 31st, 10 a.m. to 1 p.m. throughout the fair. The lights and the music on all the rides are going to be turned off, and fairgoers can enjoy the many educational activities, including those in the Oasis at the fair. That is the Ohio Department of Natural Resources Park. Now, if you want more information on all this and all this great stuff about making the fair more accessible, you can find it by emailing info at expo.ohio.gov. That's info at expo.ohio.gov. Or you can plan to stop by a guest information services booth during the fair. As I said before, it brings people together. And um, so if ice cream brings people together, do you think there's any shot we can bring a truckload of ice cream to Washington, D.C.? Well, it's very possible. <laughs> <laughs> we uh, we have done that. Our association, the Dairy Association, actually it's the International Dairy Association, has a, uh, a day during the month of July, National Ice Cream Month, that... President Reagan implemented in his time to have a ice cream day at Washington and it does bring people together and if you you see our two parties are closer together eating a bowl of ice cream or an ice cream cone it does accomplish that so there is hope for America because of ice cream exactly <laughs> The production you just heard was carefully crafted at the studios of Wessler Media. For more powerfully engaging podcasts and other audio content, visit wesslermedia.com. Stories of overcoming adversity, intense and unexpected twists and turns, education, encouragement, and plenty of those, did you hear that, moments. Hear more and talk to us about creating your own podcast, from large and detailed projects to smaller, more personal-sized productions. That's wesslermedia.com. W-E-S-S-L-E-R-Media.com.